good evening. This is Alfred Hitchcock. Today, you will be watching a film that is not one of mine, but is one of my favorites. As a person who does have no respect for the working man, I relate very heavily to this film and the criticisms therein made to the workers about which this film is told. It's not horrific, but I think you'll have a very good time with Brendan and Jason as they break it down. I'm Alfred Hitchcock. Good evening. Does he? Did he just have a live band? I don't know. It's just—it's like it faded out as he walked away. And I mean, you would have thought you would have heard him pounding the floor because he's a very heavy man, Brendan. He's very—he's very heavy. In fact, you know the stories about him that he used to—he would go to a meal. sit on people. No, well, I mean, if they were—if they were mean, sure. <laughs> but no, he would go to a meal. He would sit down at the table. They would—they would eat like a steak and you know all this food, and he would smoke a big cigar, and he would go, "Ooh, that was lovely. Let's do it again." And then they'd just bring out another round of everything. So he's also Orson Welles. Yes. <laughs> was that Orson Welles? I swear, I heard that about Alfred Hitchcock. Uh, no, I just meant I—it was just a mean. He's also fat. <laughs> oh, oh, well, yes. They, they both were very fat. But the difference is, I don't remember when Hitchcock wasn't fat. Mm. Mm. Yes. This is a podcast. Yes, about movies. About British movies. Yeah, many British movies. The British Film Institute Top 100 British Movies of All British Time. As of 1999, Year of Our Lord. Yes, I am Brendan. And I'm Jason. And, it, and this podcast is also called For Screen And Country. And Jason gets very angry when he says, Country. Country. Like, Very I'm from big. the Midlands, uh, Yorkshire. It's for country. Jason also brought his kestrel here now, though, with his, his Yorkshire accent. <laughs> <laughs> but, Jason, this week we are talking about a film on the list, as we always do. Mm-hmm. We're talking about a film, it's number 47. Mm-hmm. It's called I'm Alright Jack. And would you be surprised, folks, to know that neither Brendan nor I have heard it? anything about this movie ever in history i can i can answer for them no No. (laughs) so before we get into that though we need to talk about last week's movie briefly we need to read some comments about the alfred hitchcock masterpiece the 39 steps one two three four five six okay you know i don't like to do that (laughs) pull it together Uh, yeah we have to talk about the 39 (laughs) steps (laughs) 39 Steps, Alfred Hitchcock. That's the movie we talked about last week. And what a fantastic film. It's a masterpiece. Loved it. Loved it. Loved it the first time I saw it 10 years ago and loved it, you know, however many weeks ago we watched it. Last week. (laughs) Yeah, last week, uh, quote unquote. And I think um, a lot of our listeners kind of feel a similar way. There's really hard to get negative comments on this movie. Uh, Andrew Littlefield says, it probably is Hitchcock's best English film. And it set the template for one of his uh, favorite themes of the innocent man wrongly accused and on the run. Of course, he already established that theme in the even earlier silent film, The Lodger. Which I gotta say, check out The Lodger. It's pretty fucking cool i really should make up a playlist of silent films to watch because uh there's a, I, i've seen a few on tcm and they're always interesting because it's just it's so it's it's like watching into another era because the music is really good yeah it's and great. the dialogue I, I love ragtime piano brennan <laughs> it's the only music i make love to you make love to the music or you make love to someone while the music's playing no no the music specifically 
Let's move on. Tickling the ivories. <laughs> you might say that. Oh. <laughs> but uh, someone who has something interesting to say is Kevin Rusley. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Kevin says, I love it. It's very much a forerunner to the wrong demand antics of North by Northwest, but it's still bursting with charm on its own. And it is, yes. I mean, you can definitely see a direct line to North by Northwest. Charm is a good word for that. It definitely has uh, a lot of charm. And yeah, it feels, feels kind of quaint, yeah. but not... Not like low budget. No, it and it's it's fast paced, and you have that comedic element to it that is very much a part of a lot of Hitchcock movies. They're you know they're these intense thrillers, but you know there's a lot of gallows humor, as they say, mm-hmm. in those uh, films. Love it. I love it. Okay, and I apologize in advance, but sure. Ratus Beldavs, Ooh. I'm going to go with that. If I mispronounce it, please tell me, uh, says, I first watched this as a young teen and was surprised at how sexy an old, quote-unquote, uh, movie can be. I've read the book, and it follows it very closely. Well, I mean, yeah, except for a couple details we kind of said uh, with the the map. Remember how he ends up at the yes. at the, kill, uh, the criminal's house, yeah. uh, not as coincidentally as he does in the book? So. Yeah, and there's the whole thing with the with the German is German spies, the black something, black hand or the black uh, is what it says. Well, no, black hand was a real group, and they were not Germans. In fact, I believe they were Serbians, but don't quote me on that. And they also made a film, did a they? Serbian film? Oh no, let's not talk about that. <laughs> let's not put that in the same sentence as the Thirty Nine Steps, Brandon. Come on, you're right. Our next comment comes from Celine Denis or Dennis. I'm going to say I think it's Denis because it's Celine. So Celine Denis says, I personally think Sabotage is his best British film, but I simply adore this movie. I have not seen Sabotage, Brendan. Uh, I assume that stars the Beastie Boys. It's a mirage. No, it does not. Um, I, I don't actually know the words of the song. I just know it from Star Trek. I honestly, <laughs> the good one. Yeah. Oh yeah, the great, the greatest Star Trek. I it's the only ones I like. I hear it. Oh, yeah, it's the chair. chair. But enough of that stupidity, Brendan. Let's talk about our next comment. I was gonna say I have seen Sabotage, but I don't remember which one it is. Oh, okay. By the name of it. Pro- yeah, I, it sounds good. Just by the name. Yeah, I think I remember it being good. But I, I judge just... all movies based on names. This is why the best movie is uh, the Hugh Grant classic, The Englishman Who Went Up a Hill But Came Down a Mountain. I thought you were gonna say Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension. That's a good one too. Uh, what? A, okay, so this next comment comes from oh man. I gave, I gave did it to myself again. This next comment comes from Eolan Allen, uh, and again, I hope I got that right. <laughs> Says the first version of this movie I saw was the '50s remake with Kenneth Moore. Found that very enjoyable and fun, and also enjoyed when I got around to the Hitchcock version. Uh, been a while, but I thought both were good. Only seen snippets of the Robert Powell version, which I mainly know for the Harold Lloyd-esque finale with the clock tower at Westminster. It's funny because I, uh, we, I mean, spoiler alert, we will be doing a remake episode on this movie, uh, and it's not any of the ones that person <laughs> just listed, so I guess there's a lot of them. Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, the, well, which one were you uh, looking at? The TV version? Stay tuned! Ooh, it's a surprise even to me, the host. I'll, I'll tell him off air. All right. Now you fucking peons, you fucking listen. Who do you think you are listening to a podcast? Especially ours. Yeah. What kind of a waste of time are you involved with? Come on. <laughs> time mafia. But hey, thanks for listening. We yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, it's really, we really do. Yeah. You're all very good people for doing that. Most of you. And that forgives most of your sins. So 
This is now a Christian podcast. Yeah, we're, we're getting there. So our uh, our friend Aaron Wolverton Vargo, I don't know. I don't know if uh, this person has ever messaged us before. But, that's an uh, awesome that's a last fucking name. awesome name. Yeah. So they are our friend as far as I'm concerned. Wolverton Vargo. I Aaron Wolverton Vargo, uh, hopefully from deep in the black forests of Germany, says, I like the 39 steps a lot, but I always find it very slow to start. By the time you, uh, but by the time they're running around handcuffed each other, it's terrific. Well, it's a movie from the '30s. You gotta, but you, we gotta see Mister Memory. But that's the thing. Like, I think, I don't think it is a slow start. Like, I, I, I get, I understand the somebody seeing it as like a slower start because you said yeah. '30s, right? Yeah. But I mean, maybe I think for then though, it was a pretty like right to the right to the action as far as movies from that time were well, concerned. That, that's what I mean. I think I, th- and I think it's because. I've watched so many older movies with you. I've watched so many older movies for school and all, yeah. all kinds of other things. Maybe I'm just more conditioned to, to yeah, the Yeah, you've gotten pace. used to it, for sure. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like how Lawrence of Arabia, I was yeah. blown away by how it was much faster paced than I expected. Like I don't say faster paced, yeah. but like it was plotted faster. And see, for me, Brendan, as you know, I have three favorite movies, which I will reveal to you mm. uh, and the listener if I haven't already before. I think you have, but go ahead. I have, and, and, and it just is a fact. So my three favorite movies... Are you are listening, f- Aaron Wolverton? Vargo? Here we go, yes. Is uh, Fight Club, uh, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, and Once Upon a Time in the West. Now, and Once Upon a Time in the West is a movie that you have to be able to endure a very slow-paced movie because the movie's like almost three hours long and not a whole lot happens in it, but it is just so fucking good. That opening scene, the fucking train, and, and the shooting the kids, and oh, Henry Fonda, oh, Henry man. motherfucking Fonda. All right, last comment, Jason. What are we gonna Frank. do now, Frank? <laughs> what are we gonna do now? That's not the comment. No, that's from no. H Fonda. Sorry, that's too obvious. Henry F. <laughs> so from Mika. <laughs> Third fucking time. <laughs> what the hell? I got Aaron Wolverton Vargo, and you get all the yeah. names that are more difficult for you to pronounce. Exactly. I can pronounce them all properly, but I'm not going to help you. Go ahead. No, 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 no. You do it. Well, I'm assuming this is uh, Dawn's uh, daughter, Mikaja Henley. Uh, says incredible movie, the best of his British era, and top five is overall above Rear Window and North by Northwest. Even so, what do you think about that? Because you've seen those movies. I really like the 39 Steps a lot. I I do like Rear Window and North by Northwest better, but I understand why you think that. I, I can see it totally. That's very diplomatic of you. Well, I mean, uh, what am I going to do? Shit on this guy's opinion of movies? Maybe. Or lady? I don't know. It could be either. I don't judge or assume. You need to stop going. Stop, <laughs> stop your head. <laughs> it's getting dangerous territory. But no, but yes, they're all wonderful movies. I happen to like those two better, but that doesn't mean you're wrong. But to you, it does. I mean, I suppose, but I'm not going to hold that against uh, 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 Don Henley's offspring. <laughs> Don, that's, that's like Don Henley made an offspring tribute band. I would listen to that. I would love to hear him. I would love to hear his take on Pretty Fly for a White Guy. It's a pretty fly for a white guy. And all the girlies say I'm pretty fly for a white guy. Oh, this is the most nonsense we've ever packed into no. this, Jason. Okay, so that is all the comments. All right. Well, th- yeah, that was Thank a great you, movie. Everybody. I'm glad everybody enjoyed it. Well, now we need to take a look at uh, our little comparison flow chart here. Yes. Uh, the AFI, the top 100, AFI top 100, 2007 list. Number four on that list is Raging Bull. Which I have never seen. Because oh. I'm apparently a, a terrible person. Well, Jason, don't feel too bad because I saw it once and I don't really remember any of it because I think I was either too young or not paying attention. All I remember specifically about it is that A, it's in black and white, and B, they filmed it in reverse, so Robert uh, uh, De Niro 
No, seriously, they, they filmed the movie backwards. Like, they filmed it because he got super fat. <laughs> I thought you had the movies just run in reverse. No, no. No, he got super fat, like, like you know, like Gibwana. He gets yeah. super fat, but then throughout the course of them filming the movie, he, like, starts working out. And so as the movie goes, as they're shooting, he's getting more and more fit. So when they put the movie together, he starts off super fit, and then it's, like, his career, and then he events, ends up a fat ass at the end of it. What yeah. a genius approach. Martin Scorsese, you're the man. Martin Scorsese, pretty good director. Yeah. So, uh, all right, well, we, so you haven't seen it. I, I can't really, it's not really fair to compare. So by so, default, 39 Steps 39 wins. Steps takes it in a landslide. Uh, <laughs> so with all that out of the way, Jason, we talk about this week's movie, of course, which is... I'm all right, Jack. You don't need to worry about me. Some of that is the title. <laughs> That is the message for today. So count up your lolly, feather your nest. Let someone else worry, boy, I couldn't care less. You scratch my back, I'll do the same for you, Jack. That's the message for today. Yeah, the workers and the bosses, sweet duet, share the gains and the losses. You bet. Well, everybody's comrades now. Like Cain and Abel, we're all brothers and how. If there's any fiddle, get in in the middle. Stack your whack jack while you may. I wish there was video because you would have seen Jason and I getting down to that theme song. Some groovy music, Brendan, straight from the late 50s Britain. Jason, I love that theme song. That's a fun theme song. As far as theme songs go, that's one of the more fun ones we've heard. I, well, I mean, I don't know. Henry V was up there. That was, that was epic for sure. It was pretty fun. <laughs> it was silly and full of laughs. Yes. This is from 1959. Mm-hmm. I'm all right, Jack. Um, now, for a second, I thought this was one of those uh, Ealing comedies, mm-hmm. but I guess it's not technically an Ealing comedy. It is I assumed it was going to be a kitchen sink drama based on our previous history <laughs> right because <laughs> like, like i'm all right jack i'm fu- like like the end of the movie would be like this really like beat up guy standing in front of his like sink with his beat up wife in the kitchen just be like you know what i'm all right jack i'm all right and then it would end and then it would just say the end. end and then fade yeah well i mean it's a pretty safe assumption to make however this is a comedy it is it's a satire pretty funny one too yeah like yeah, like, you know, it's hard with a lot of older comedies. Obviously, there's some dated stuff, which we'll get into. Mm-hmm. But it's hard with a lot of older comedies. Sometimes the pacing is kind of weird. Sometimes the jokes don't really quite land. But this is very, like, much in the same vein of, like, when I watch a, uh, like, Dr. Strangelove. Yeah, and then it's or, not just the Peter Sellers connection. It's a similar idea, yeah. Right, like, or... Um, where I don't everybody's know, like an old, ridiculous. Like an old Monty Python movie or something. Yeah. Which, again, has a little connection has here. some connection here. So... We talk about the cast in this movie. You got mm-hmm. Ian Carmichael playing Stanley Windrush. Yes. Terry Thomas playing Major Hitchcock, which yes. is crazy. We have another connection to the previous week's movie. A very tiny one, sure. I mean, I mean, a character's named Hitchcock. Yes. I mean, last week you know was the spy thing. Terry Thomas, which I will say right now is the the British fifties uh, version of Paul F. Tompkins, and it's not just the the gap tooth; it's the the sense of humor that they both have, and the fact that they're both pretty well dressed. And also, I feel like I've seen a caricature of this this performance in like a lot of movies. And there's a good chance that Paul F. Tompkins once did a caricature of this performance too. Uh, I I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> Super high class British. Well, he kind of does, I guess, when he when he pretends to be Andrew Lloyd Webber in various uh, incarnations of Comedy Bang Bang. I've written a musical and it involves a phantom. Yes, well, Louis sounds like this, like Terry Thomas. It's a very high, high, uh, high-class sort of voice with a very, you know, the very high, the high end of things, of course. 
Yes, you can almost hear the tooth gap. Well, Jason, also, we have Peter Sellers the playing great. Mr. Kite mm-hmm. and Sir John yes. at the very beginning of the movie, very briefly. Richard Attenborough famously as, played John Hammond in Jurassic Park. Yes, and here he plays a man that is not quite as nice as John Hammond. Coxey. Coxey. We have Dennis Price playing Bertram Trace Purcell. That's a fucking mouthful of a name. <laughs> uh, Liz Fraser as Cynthia Kite. Margaret Rutherford as Aunt, Aunt Dolly. And Irene Handel as Mrs. Kite. We have a, quite a cast. I'm, gl- I'm glad you said Mrs. Kite because I wasn't sure if she had a name or not. Um, I believe her first name was Mrs., Mrs. but I might have missed something. <laughs> I might have missed something. Oh, zing. We should start off before you get into the plot by saying, as you found out, you, I think you said six hours ago, yeah. this is a sequel yeah. to a movie called Private's Progress, Yes, which, which was, sounds like a porno. Which was about our main character, Stanley Rindrush, when he was in the army. And now, his various uh, Coxie and, and his major Hitchcock and all these, many of these characters that were in the previous film. Peter Sellers, however, was not. In he the was not. Film. He was playing hard to get. That's right. I don't know. He may have been making a different movie. Maybe he was making a Pink Panther movie. Not he yet. Probably didn't make 60s. those until the 60s. Yeah. yeah. Uh, also, we should probably point out the title of this movie is called I'm All Right Jack. Now, we already pointed that out. What you may not know is that that is a British phrase. Uh, which refers to a situation where somebody is basically being selfish. Yeah. The example I was given is like you get on a bus and say you've got like a broken leg and you walk up to a guy and you're like, hey, excuse me, can I have your seat? And they look at you and go, no, I'm all right, Jack. And it's usually a thing that if they... If they did help you out, would require like minimal effort. The most minimal of effort. Yeah. And they still don't want to do it. It's like scooch over an inch and they're like, I'm all right, Jack. Yeah. Yeah. Dickheads. Exactly. This movie should have been called Dickheads. Well, really, it should have been. There's a lot of... The only good guy in this movie is Stanley and his dad. Spoiler alert. (laughs) All right, Jason. So... What is this movie about? Well, the first thing we got to get out of the way, because it's not written in my summary, but the very first scene of this movie is is Peter Sellers as a fellow named Sir John. Who is he supposed to be an imitation of? Uh, I thought he was supposed to be Churchill. Because they, sh- they show footage of Churchill. They do show footage of Churchill, but Sir John clearly is not Churchill. Because he calls no, 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 no. But I mean, the fact that they cut to that when he's going outside. But did I miss something? What did that even have to do with the rest of the movie? Well, why don't we listen to it? Yeah. And we'll talk about it. Okay, because may- maybe because you watched the movie twice. I usually watch it once. So maybe there was something in there that I didn't realize because I didn't rewatch the movie. But let's listen and find out. Sir John. What is it? The war, Sir John, it's over. Over? Oh, yes. At last, just listen to them out there. Yes. It's another one we've come through, Ernst. That's right, Sir John. They can't finish us off, can they? Ernst. Yes, sir. Close that window, will you? It's become damn chilly in here. Yes, sir. Look hard, for this is the last we shall see of Sir John. A justice of the peace... Chairman of the Rotten Unionist Association, Vice President of his local British Legion, Honorary Chairman of the Regional Board for the Adjustment of Distressed Gentlewomen, and sleeping partner in that vast financial complex, the City and Threadneedle Trust. Yes, there goes Sir John, a solid block in the edifice of what seemed to be an ordered and stable society. There he goes. On his way out. 
So is this is this maybe a metaphor for the society that is going by the wayside, that is being replaced by what we see in the film? I think that's what it is, honestly. Right. I think it's like a, Sir John is just that figure of like... That old, old Britishness. Yeah, the old guard. And they even, like you said, you even cut to Winston Churchill, footage of him doing the famous V for victory, mm-hmm. and then hilariously cut to the crowd where some guy does the V for victory and then turns it yeah. around as like an up the yours. Raspberry up yeah. yours, yeah. And cut in right into the, I'm alright Jack, I'm okay. Yeah. I love that song. Well, anyway. how much it cost him to do that shot where the guy was on top of the telephone or on top of the pole drinking? It looked like he wasn't really on top of it. <laughs> it looked like a very obvious uh, prop, but yeah. All right, so now that we get this little bit of uh, uh, historical foreshadowing, I guess, out of the way, or, or what do you call it? Passing of the torch. Passing of the torch. Uh, so we we see those titles, and then we meet our main character, who is who is visiting his father. We don't see him at first. We only see his back. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are at a nudist colony. Yes. Uh, which we realize quickly, as as you can see, that Stanley's father is completely naked and has a bowl on his lap as he's opening up beans or something. I don't know exactly what he's doing. He seems to be preparing food, perhaps. Yeah. Um, and Stanley is discussing with his father how he's just graduating university and he wants to take a job in industry. Industry? Yes, industry. I'm looking for an industry appointment. Also, Jason, I, this passes, I think, your test. This movie is super British. This movie is full of lots of candidates for upper-class twit of the year. This is so British. Although there's a good chance Terry Thomas might win just overall upper-class twit of the year. Yeah. He's very good at it. Mm. Um, but yes, there's a lot of a, a lot of this sort of talk. <laughs> yes, I'm going to industry, father. Yes. But we also get some lower-class stuff, too, because we uh, we deal with union members in this movie. That's right. Yeah, so let's talk about it. So Stanley Windrush, as we discussed in the previous film, which we didn't see and can't find, right. he was uh, allegedly in the war and made his way back and returned to university. Uh, where he finished up and graduated. And now, after talking to his father, telling him all about it, uh, and then getting really uncomfortable because a bunch of naked ladies wanted to play tennis with him. A bunch of naked, like, middle-aged old ladies, Well, they I weren't think. that old. They were... Uh, I mean, they were at least 30, they Jason. Were pro- they looked like they were pretty toit. Jason, in these, in these movies... They were toit like a toy guy. <laughs> in these movies... Yeah. 27 is pretty old for a lady. That's true. And, I mean, you know, it was, it was rougher on people in those days <laughs> with all the smoking and the coal gas and all that stuff. Uh, so... Yeah, so he gets cha- he gets uncomfortably run out of the uh, uh, nudist colony by himself, and then he goes and talks to his academic advisor, who suggests that he goes out and, and investigates and, and takes a look in to mm-hmm. some companies. So we see a couple of those voyages. Uh, he goes to a soap company, a detergent company. Detto. Detto, where they are discussing the particulars of their product, and, and you know a lot of things are mentioned, like how it's rather it's really cheap to make. Uh, they sell it. In, they actually sell Detto as a different brand in a different size box. Frisco. Frisco. Uh, but they sell Frisco for less money, even though there's the exact same amount in each box, and the boxes are different sizes. Um, and Stanley's listening, you know, listening to all this, and he says. Then they also have spent some money on promoting it. They they have they have spoons that they give away with the uh, detergent. And Stan, sure. but Stanley stands up and, and is you know Stanley is very naive. Uh, and very positive, I guess jolly, you might say. He's just, he doesn't, despite the fact that he went through the war, it just doesn't weigh on him like it does everybody else. Yeah. And naive is like the perfect word. Yeah, I think. he's yeah. perfectly naive. Uh, and he's a lovely man. But he, he suggests that perhaps, uh, given all the information you just heard, they should just sell the spoons and give away the detergent. And this does not make the, the, the CEO of that company very happy, and he runs Stanley out of the meeting. You are simply not a detergent man. Yeah. <laughs> 
So Stanley, you know, not to be uh, not to be put down. He tries again. He goes to a different company this time. Turns out this one is a sweets company. Can I please play the jingle for please this? Please play the jingle for this, Brendan. I know you were singing it earlier. <laughs> I love the songs in this movie. All right, so it's a it's a company called Num Yum, uh-huh. and uh, this is their little jingle. And that's not far off from what actual ads were like back then. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wish they would still do it. I know. Wouldn't it be wonderful? <laughs> it's so quaint, right? <laughs> so he goes, uh, so at the Sweets Factory, he's introduced to a line man and, and he takes him around and shows him around. And uh, he's immediately given a, a sweet to shove in his face to try. And the scene made me feel physically. Ill. Yeah, yeah. And so, so basically, the way it works is that he is he is dragged from from uh, station to station as the foreman explains how they make the product. <laughs> as he does it every time, he's given a piece of the candy, like whether it's the coating or oh, whatever. In every even like, stage, yeah, of, the goop, the like goop. He drinks it out of a spoon. He's like, yeah, there, there. There's a, there's a good lad. Finish it up. Finish it up. Get it in you. And <laughs> it's and, quite cool. Yeah, Stanley is, is, he's initially game to try, but they just keep shoving shit into him, and he keeps getting sicker and sicker, and it doesn't help that, A, the, the, all the machines look like people, or look like they have faces. Yes, I and, love that. And make, very, this is why it reminded me of, like, some silent movies and stuff, like, that way. And also, they all make a lot of, like, really, really rude noises, uh, <laughs> sounding like farts and burps. Well, and one machine, I mean, literally looks like a face puking. Yeah, it looks like it's vomiting out that <laughs> And then... So yeah, that doesn't help Stanley either. And then at one point, Stanley is so sick he takes his hat off and sets it on the line, and which immediately then goes in down the conveyor belt into the machine and is coated with the coating for the candy. He completely coats his bowler, um, and that of course, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> well, that and that's not even. And then like on his way out, he pukes into one of the mixing bowls. Yes, right into the mixing bowl. And so we, we get the sense that Stanley's not particularly good at any of this uh, business stuff. Uh, or certainly not making a good impression mm. to those. And he gets a letter from his academic advisor saying as much, hey, maybe this isn't for you. Maybe you shouldn't worry about getting a job in industry. Maybe you shouldn't work. <laughs> maybe you just shouldn't work at all. But maybe you should live his life in an ivory tower as an academic. But Stanley won't be taken down. He's too he's too good-natured. He's, he's got too much stick He wants a job. Turns out his uncle Bertram, who was a brigadier in the army, uh, owns a company mm-hmm. called Missiles Limited. And he talks to Stanley and suggests that, hey, I, I can give you a job. But it's not going to be an executive job. You're going to be on the ground floor with the boys in the shop. Yeah, industry work. Men. Yeah, exactly, no, uh, industry work. Non-skilled worker. And he's a little, uh, you know, he's not sure about it. And, of course, his aunt, uh, Aunt Dolly, uh, who's wonderful in this movie. Yeah, I actress, love her. She's great. Uh, she does not like unions at all. And I don't think she really has much use for working people in general. Yeah. She's very rich and, and you know the sort. You know the type, Brendan. She's kind of this movie because she hates both sides. Absolutely. She <laughs> very much so. She's uh, She hates everybody involved. Uh, but she doesn't want him working with those rough men. But but he, he asks if, if, you know, if he can climb the ladder. Top men. That's right. Top men. <laughs> he's top men. Uh, but he asks if he can, you know, climb the ladder and, and advance. And then he's like, yeah, of course you can. And he's like, sure, I'll take the job. So, well, and, and like, that's uh, the other man that's in the room that helps to yes. convince him is uh, Coxie. Coxie, again, in the previous by, film, one of his army yeah. buddies who now is also a businessman of sorts and is a partners with Bertram. And This is, of course, before he bought the dinosaur park. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Long before. <laughs> Changed his name. Yeah. Had to, had to get the stink of this movie off him. Uh, 
Welcome to Missiles Limited. Etc. I was doing the Lord of the Rings music, so I was I way off. <laughs> oh, I thought you were like... I thought you were like... May it be well done. Doing my best Enya. <laughs> so, uh, Missiles Limited, you might imagine, makes missiles. What? Yeah. Oh. And uh, the union on the floor, they have a, a union. I forget what the name of the union is. I think it's, one of them is like it's a, a general a, union. The, I think there's the general is, union and there's the amalgamated. The amalgamated, union. yeah. Yeah, and, and the shop steward for their floor is a fellow named Fred Kite. Played by... Played by the inimitable Peter Sellers. And the only movie on this list that he's in. I know, which is crazy. I know. I mean, I guess maybe he did a lot more American films. And I don't know. So the satire of this movie will become clear as we talk about it. But right out of the gate, what's something you notice about Mr. Kite? He looks a bit like Hitler. He really does. Uh, uh, the the toothbrush mustache combined with the type of overcoat he's wearing looks very yep. Hitlerish. So right out of the gate, we're saying something strong. Yeah. Uh, on the part of the uh, filmmakers, it's a, it's a it's a pretty big stance to take it from the from the outset. Yes. So he's sent down to the floor, Stanley, for his first day, and of course he's immediately he sticks out like a sore thumb since everybody's dressed in work clothes and overalls, and he's wearing a suit. Mm. Uh, Again, super naive. Super naive. Uh, and the men are a bit wary of him because they know the management of this company and they know that before they sent in undercover spies to keep an eye on them and perform what they know is time and motion studies, wherein workers are then are timed as well as their uh, methods of doing the work is examined so that it can be made more efficient. And these, yeah, and these people are usually sent in kind of undercover. Yeah. So that the workers don't, yeah. So, so they, that they can they, ideally get an accurate read on what they're actually doing. Yeah, exactly. And if the unions were to find out that who it was, that would be the end of them. Now, one of the major sources of satire in this movie is from the union itself. Now, right out of the gate, we have to we have to point out. So this movie was made in 1959. Yes. Uh, trade unions in Britain had way more power in the 1950s than they do today. Uh, they were pretty heavily broken in the 80s by the Margaret Thatcher government, um, especially yeah, yeah. after the coal strike of 1984 and 1985. Margaret so, Thatcher, we both know and love her. The Iron Lady. He made air quotes. Yes, but where I made those air quotes is up to you. So... <laughs> sure. <laughs> So yeah, so in this movie, the the like everybody everybody is made fun of in this movie, but the unions especially, and and this is a an attitude that I've seen in a lot of other British comedy over the years is the idea that union men are there to do as little work as possible, and and constantly use like agreements and 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 knowledge of the system to maintain that low rate of work for the rate of pay that they expect. Well, and if you were saying like, because you were just saying that they had a lot of power at this time. Yes, absolutely. Um, maybe it's a sense of like. Yes, the unions, but also, like, you, I think in society and in movies and stuff, you always mock the people that have the most power. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a big part of it, right? That's why this movie would not play today in 2019 right. in an era where unions are pretty much like, dead. Why are you mocking the little yeah, people? It's like, why are you kicking these people who are down? What's the point of this? But in 1950s, this was really funny. Yes. <laughs> it was pretty funny. Um, so, yeah, Fred... Fred is a, a, a staunch communist. He is uh, oh, yeah. like very much workers' rights. Not subtle at all. No, he is a, he's very much a big admirer of Russia. Reads yeah. Lenin. Uh, and, you know, and, and, he's, and he's 
Okay, I'll mention it now. So if you've ever seen Monty Python's Life of Brian, and we'll talk about it, there's a scene where the the Judean people's front is brought up. Uh, and, and you'll know the scene because, uh, wait, who are we again? We're the people's front of Judea? People's front of the Judea? Fuck off! We're the Judea people's front. Fucking Ju- people's front of Judea. Um, and they have arguments in the movie that, that sound almost straight out of this movie. The, the accent they're using is very much Peter Sellers' lower class accent that he uses in this movie. John okay. Cleese does. Um, and you'll note in, in that movie when they're underground and they're they're trying to pull off this like terrorist mission essentially and they get into a, an argument over minor like political differences, which is very left wing. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, so it goes to that. And so there's this attitude of making fun of unions and union people in British pop culture. Mm. So, it, and, and you know, this movie is a huge example of that. Yes. So, as I said, the men are suspicious of Stanley and they decide they need to get rid of him because he's a problem. So they go, they see Major Hitchcock. So Major Hitchcock is played by Terry Thomas, who is one of the great British archetype comedians. He Yes. Yes, absolutely. Very high class. Sounds like this. It's an absolute shah. Yes, yes, absolutely. He's, and he's very funny. Yeah, um, he's great. And so they go see him because he's sort of the browbeaten middle manager that yeah. for what, that has been abused by the union for so long that he's kind of on their side. He's kind of abused by both sides. Oh, absolutely, yes. He's <laughs> definitely the guy that they all kind of whack on. Uh, so they go to see him, and they're like, you got to do something about this guy. And he's like, okay, uh, uh, I would like to fire Would you like me to fire him? Would well, that be good? Well, and we should note that they think, so they think Stanley is the time and motion guy. Because there is a time and motion guy yeah. that uh, Hitchcock has undercover. Waters. Waters. Yes. And so when they say, we found your time and motion guy, Hitchcock is like, what? He didn't even start. He, who is it? Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> he thinks they've already figured it out, even though the guy's never been down yeah. there. And so then when he, they mentioned... Uh, Stanley, he kind of has a little sigh of relief. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, oh, wait, did you fire him for incompetence? What do you want yeah. me to do? And so they go out, they have a chat. He comes back in, uh, Kite, and he says, uh, we just have one question, sir. Would you be intending to fire this man? And, uh, uh, of course, Hitchcock is like, well, yes, of course. And so he goes back out, they come back in, and then they say, sir, we have to formally protest you firing this man. He's like, Wait, you, you literally just asked me to fire him. Why do you want me? He goes, well, if you were to fire him, it would be because of incompetence, and that's no reason to fire a man. That's victimization of the worker. <laughs> also, I love that because it's like, incompetence yeah. is no reason, no reason to, to fire, fire a man. man. <laughs> <laughs> Which, again, that's another shot at the unions, like yeah. of the idea of them kind of keeping everybody employed, no matter how good they actually were at their job, yeah. just for the sake of keeping them employed. So, Kite... Though, decides that he's going to take Stanley under his wing. Stanley, you know, he doesn't know a whole lot about working on the floor. Uh, they, they explain how to use the forklift to him and make sure to plug it in. Um, but uh, when he starts to get a little too eager, they tell him to, like, back off. You know, don't don't work too hard. You know, you, you, we have a work rate. you got to maintain that. Um, and, yeah, uh, Kite takes him under his arm and is discussing with him the idea of even moving into his place because Stanley wants a new apartment. He lives too far from work. He'd like to live closer. Um, Kite offers him a a berth, as it were, and he's not really into it at first, or he's like kind of, he's kind of hemming and hawing. And then a young lady comes by, turns out it's Kite's daughter. Cynthia. Cynthia. uh, And he quickly changes his mind. He's like, oh yes, I'll move in with you. And somehow Kite doesn't notice that or care. (laughs) No, he's very oblivious. He's very oblivious to that. Um, but va va voom, he's down. Oh yeah, she's got the 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 boobs that he likes. Absolutely. Uh, so he introduces Stanley to. <laughs> what the fuck does that yeah, mean? Who knows? 
Just Brendan being silly. She's got those boobs that you like. So there, he kind of introduces Stanley to his mode of thinking. He gives him some books to read. Uh, oh yeah, my favorite is it? when he gives him one of the books, and he he's like, "That's about the downfall of corporations in favor of unions, or something like that." And he's like, "But I won't spoil it for you." <laughs> <laughs> he gives him a book called uh, "Collective Children Factory Manhood" or "Collective Childhood Factory Manhood," something, or something. like that. Yeah, as well as some works by Lenin. Yeah, uh, I've always like I've always wanted to go to the Soviet Union. So he starts to integrate into their family, and he becomes super fond of of Cynthia. Mm-hmm. To the point where he's making out with her in his little car. She makes no bones about it either. Yeah, he's like, she's right into it, right into the gate. Because, yeah. I mean, also, she's young, and what other opportunity has she had? Still is a good-looking dude. He's all right. He's he young. seems like he's... I mean, I know he just graduated university, but maybe this is the... But he seems older than he is, but I think that's just the, the movies. I looked it up, because I was How old curious. was Ian Carmichael at this time? I believe Ian Carmichael was, like, 32. And she was, like, what, 20? She's, like, 23. Two or twenty-three. Okay, so you know, not that big a difference in nineteen fifty-nine, and really not that big a difference. I today. mean, both adults at least. Yeah, both adults, <laughs> consenting adults. Yeah, uh, cough, cough. Doctor Zhivago remake. I don't know if this was a direct reference, but did you know the Stan? Did you notice that Stanley's car looked a lot like uh, Sam's car in Brazil, like that kind of little oh, bubble yeah. car? There was a lot of times in this movie I thought of Brazil for some. Yeah, reason. absolutely. There, there's no question that I feel like Terry Gilliam must have he been inspired had, by this type of movie. Yeah, he had to have watched. But, this. but obviously, they had been because we see a lot of that in Monty Python. That's same thing like or you talk about like there's a sketch in monty python where the father is going on it's like uh his son wants to work in the mill and he's like you can't work in the mill you're gonna be an actor like me i've had more gala luncheons than you've had art dinners like that sort of thing anyways so at the plant major hitchcock has been chatting with waters the time and motion expert uh brought in by upper management but waters is frustrated because he can't actually get down on the floor and do any work because they, they know he, they, they, they'll find him, or he hasn't been allowed to go down there. He so, tries to use binoculars. He tries to use binoculars. Well, that's, exactly that's Hitchcock's he's suggestion. Doing. He's like, yeah. oh, just go do it from afar. And, yeah. and, but they notice him very quick when they see the light glinting off his binoculars. These guys, you, you'll see too a lot of times in the movie, there's a no smoking sign handy, and guys are just smoking under the sign. <laughs> they're also smoking out the They make missiles, and everybody's smoking <laughs> cigarettes in this factory. Oh, and they're, and the, yeah, and drinking and playing cards in the yeah. middle of a bunch of missile boxes. Yeah, well, the. That's the, the joke later on that I love is when the, the card the guys are playing cards and uh, they get word that the strike is on and they're like, well, boys, let's go. There's no use of working. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's. Um, you mentioned the time of motion guy again because yeah. I, I do want to play the little uh, one of the conversations between Hitchcock and his time in motion guy. Yes. So I think you will get to hear uh, Hitchcock's wonderful voice. Yeah. I, I, I can, we can't go this episode without playing something from hear that some character. That's all right for the brass at head office. They don't actually have to deal with the workers. Personnel officer, that's my job. God help me. And I can tell you, they're an absolute shower. A positive shower. But my instructions, Major Hitchcock, are to carry out a time and motion study in every department. Whose bright idea was that? Mr. Trace Persons, I suppose. He engaged me. But surely the men must know that I... No. Get this into your head. They know nothing other than what's in their pay packet at the end of the week. We got chaps here who can break out into a muck sweat merely by standing still. One thing they can't stand is being stopwatched. But the sole purpose of time and motion study is to enable the men to work efficiently, well within their natural capacity. Capacity? My dear fellow, the only capacity natural to these stinkers is the capacity to dodge the column. Oh, dear, Getting off steam like that. Had rather a punishing night last night. Did a spot of time and motion study of my own. Redhead. Rather athletic. Huh. Quite. 
Well, not to worry, old boy. I should just have to think of a way for you to do your stuff without these rotters cottoning on. Won't be easy, though. The last time a motion fellow we had tried to pass himself off as one of the workers. They rambled him right away. Poor chap's still in hospital. <laughs> Poor chap's still in the hospital. <laughs> so good. So funny. Goddamn. So, uh, yeah, so Hitchcock kind of being browbeaten by the Union. He's not happy about uh, uh, Waters' presence, really, because it's going to be a pain in the ass for him from everybody. And Waters isn't happy because he can't do his job. Right. So. Waters also has this funny little twitch that he does. Yeah, he's got this yeah, weird like like mouth-eye twitch kind of combination yeah. <laughs> thing, which is, I don't know if it was just a choice on the actor's part, or perhaps the actor had a twitch. I don't know. I think it's definitely a character <laughs> thing. It made me laugh. Which is understandable, because I imagine being in that sort of job would be very stressful. He's, a, he's just a nerd. Yeah, he's a nervous dude. Yeah. So, Waters' break, though, comes thanks to Stanley. Because Stanley being so naive and just wanting to be helpful, you know, he wants to work, he wants to be helpful, he wants to do his part. Waters gets to him when he's alone. I think everybody else is on lunch break. And he tells him that he's a new employee and then he's uh, noticed him driving around and that he was uh, asking him about how fast he was doing stuff. And, and, you know, could he only take one crate on the on the forklift? And he's like, oh, no, I can I can take two or three. Let me show you. And he goes and does it. And <laughs> at one point he brings over four and he can't even fit them on the dock because he's got them all stacked up. These boxes of what are labeled missiles missiles he's just <laughs> just haphazardly running them over on the just on the piling forklift. them just piling them on top <laughs> so he asks him all these questions demonst- and gets Stanley to demonstrate while he kind of uh, quietly times him mm-hmm. uh, with a stopwatch in his pocket Waters records the figures and then leaves and presents them to Hitchcock and management to say like here's the actual here, here's how fast these guys can actually work and this starts off a chain reaction Hitchcock and goes presents these figures to Kite, and we see this scene play out in the yard where we can't hear what they're saying really, but we see them in a distance from because Bertram is watching them from the office. Um, he goes out to tell him, and immediately Kite is not super excited about it and is getting kind of worked up, and immediately goes out and says to the boys, "That's it, we're on strike." Yeah, because we want this is a violation of our agreement of our negotiation. And this is also where we kind of learn of an ulterior motive, right, for uh, Bertram and. Yes. yes, so it turns out that uh, they have this latest order that the factory is working on is being made for a Mr. Muhammad, mm. who is a representative of a, uh, a foreign Middle Eastern nation that is named, but I don't remember what they call it. Um, I don't know. It's not a real country. No, and he's not portrayed super sensitively. No, uh, though I will say the actor that plays him, I believe, is in, is a British Indian actor, so yeah. he's at least properly ethnic. It's at least not uh, what happened in, like, Black Narcissus. Yeah, no, there's no browning up of here. This is a legit guy. Um, but, uh, yeah, so he's buying these missiles, which they hilariously talk about how these missiles ensure peace. <laughs> of course yeah, they do. Yeah, there's, like, literally a line where they're like, missiles will bring peace to the world. And yeah. I'm like, what? Exactly. Uh, so... Basically, they, they, they go to Mr. Muhammad and go, yeah, well, things are starting to get kind of rough here. We got a strike coming on at the factory. We can move it to a different factory, coincidentally owned by my good friend Mr. Cox here. We'd be more than happy to do that, but it's going to cost a little bit more money, say, oh, I don't know, about 100,000 pounds? And Mr. Muhammad's kind of like, well, you know, this is that's a lot of money. I mean, uh, I don't know. And then he's like, well, what if we took that 100 pounds and we, say, split it three ways? A third for me, a third for Mr. Cox, and a third for you, Mr. Muhammad. Yeah. And then he understands. Yeah, basically they had Stanley hired because they knew that would throw everything around. Mm -hmm. And yeah, they'd have a good reason for moving it to this other company that Coxie has a major part in. Mm -hmm. 
And that Bertram has a secret financial interest in. Right. And Mr. Muhammad just has to get it from his government, mm-hmm. the money from his government. So, yeah. And they can, you know, they can spread it around themselves and all come out on top, you know, little greasy palms. You know how it is? Yeah. And this is and this is where you're like, okay, they're attacking both sides at this point. Oh, yeah. Everybody's, <laughs> everybody's corrupt and stupid in this Britain. Yeah. Uh, except for Stanley. Uh, so, well, he's stupid, but he's not corrupt. <laughs> yeah. So he is uh, quickly identified as the guy who caused the strike by the Union. Uh, and he is sent to Coventry. What which, does that mean, Jason? Well, at first I thought they meant they were going to send him to Coventry, which is a town. That a is what I one. thought, too. And I was like, can they do that? Yeah, but it turns out that sending someone to Coventry is a British slang for shunning them, for not talking to them, for just pretending they don't exist. And he had a period of a month that they had come up with where they weren't going to talk to him. Yes, uh, they go on strike and the plant shuts down and their plan is in motion. Bertram and Mr. Muhammad and, and Coxie are making headway. But what they don't count on is the strike spreading. So as other companies start to, their unions start to go off on strike in support of the of the general union there that's on strike. Um, including the other company that was supposed to make the deal. Exactly, including that one. So then things start to break bad for, for the management at that point. They start now, selling crystal meth? Yes. Okay. <laughs> they buy a camper. They start making crystal meth. No one uh, is dying. Things are going real bad. Um, and strangely, the media start to focus on Stanley. So they, they, they at one point they go to Kite's house looking for Stanley. And Stanley's there, but he's like in a different room. And Kite assumes that they're there for him. So he gets ready to deliver a press conference. And they're like, yeah, no, we're Stanley. We want to talk to Stanley, Mr. Windrush. Uh, and so he's like, oh, easy or whatever. And he starts talking. But as soon as Stanley comes in, they all just book away from Kite and go talk to Stanley. Turns out Stanley's turned into like a national hero in the media because he was the man who worked too hard. Like, he, he worked too much. And, and that, he's he's very like, oh, no, not too hard, maybe too fast, maybe. Yeah, he's a little fast. Not, not so much hard. I just worked a little fast. And he's very, you know, he plays it down, which makes people love him even more. Yeah. Um, and and making, you know, of course, making everybody else in the union look bad. Well, yeah, because they're like, so you, you sent him to Coventry for working... Too fast? Yeah. <laughs> like, they were like, really? That doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, and this annoys Kite, obviously, and he, he does eventually kick Stanley out of the house. Uh, this really pisses off his wife and Cynthia. Yep. Uh, because they both really like Stanley. Uh, Cynthia more, maybe more so than the mother, but we don't see everything. We don't know what's going on. Uh, but they're like, mother's like, you know what? We're on strike too. We're going to my sister's, so fuck you. She doesn't say that, but it's implicit. When will Stanley be back? He is back. What do you mean he is back? He's back where he belongs. Here, just a moment. What exactly do you mean by that? He's packed up and gone. Gone? Where? Well, I had no choice, Mother. You see, he's a black leg. You threw him out? Don't cry like that, girlie. Don't upset yourself, Cynthia. You see what you've done, don't you? What am I going to do with his suspenders? I could tell you. He's so unfair. He's got no thought for others. Now he's ruined my whole life. I hope you're satisfied, Fred Kite. Look, Mother, 
It was democratically arrived at. I mean, I am chairman of the Works Committee. Oh, yes, you're chairman of the Works Committee, all right. Don't we all know it? Sick to death of you and your Works Committee. Union this, union that, and you blasted Soviet Union. There is a strike on, Mother. You telling me there's a strike on? I'll tell you something else. The strike spread to this house from now on. Cynthia, get our bags packed. We're going back to Auntie Edie's. There's two can play at this game, you know. You wanted a strike, you got one. Perhaps when you feel like going back to work, I will. And here's something else I'm going to tell you. Here's another strike that's 100% solid. She sounds like Mrs. Brahms from uh, Are You Being Served? She got that same accent. <laughs> she laid down the fucking law. She did, yes, absolutely. I, I love seeing, especially in these movies, strong female characters. There's a the lot 50s. of them. Yeah. I find that like, there's, we've had pretty good track record with that yeah. so far. Yeah, for, absolutely. Um, Clockwork Orange especially. Oh, yeah, totally. Those two <laughs> girls in the room, yeah. Um, so Stanley, though, meanwhile, has decided that for his own moral feeling, he needs to go back to work. Yeah, well, his, his aunt convinces him, too. Yeah. Which, in a hilarious scene, she walks into that household looking for him. Looking for him. And she sees a book that literally says, like, the fall of the rich. <laughs> her reaction to that is so she's Yeah, she, and she's a bit standoffish when she goes in, but... Uh, she warms up when she realizes the wife is not so big on unions, either. Well, and they seem to relate to each other. Yeah. They, they kind of come up with a common thing, and, that'll, and then she agrees to sit down on the couch and have a cup of tea with her, which she was just going to stand there and wait before. So that's a lovely little scene where they just kind of... Two people of completely different social strata come together with common, common thought. Um, so Stanley, yeah, Stanley goes back to work. He shows up to the plant in his little car, and there, of course, is a strike going on. So there's a whole throng of workers with a picket line, and he just goes in and crosses it, and damn near causes a riot in doing so because everybody's super mad at him. <laughs> yep. So basically, Bertram and Coxie and Mr. Muhammad are fucked at this point, unless they can get people back to work because this deal is going to fall through. So they, so they decide they're going to send Hitchcock out to talk to Kite and see if they can figure out a way to end this strike. And they have some drinks together. And clearly, uh, Major Hitchcock uh, learned how to hold his liquor in the army because he's drinking with uh, with Kite. And Kite gets pissed drunk. And Kite, is, or rather, uh, Major Hitchcock seems to have barely, barely got a buzz on by the time they're done. One of my favorite touches in this scene, too, is he's, like, Kite, Kite at this point is depressed because, mm-hmm. like, his wife and daughter are quote-unquote on strike. Yeah. Um, he's, like, knitting his own socks and everything. The house is a complete, total disaster. Like, like cartoonish. Yeah, cartoonishly like bad. But, like, when he's uh, he's knitting his own socks, Hitchcock comes over, they talk for a bit, we cut to another scene, and then when they cut back, it just starts with Hitchcock fixing the sock that he knitted wrong, and he's yeah. like, well, it's not a proper mending, but it'll hold. <laughs> like, I think it's so drunk at one point that he's just like, can you fix my socks? Yeah. <laughs> I, I like when he's, when he's mending the socks initially before Hitchcock shows up, and he puts the the needle through and he pulls it and the whole string goes through and it's just that little moment of Peter Sellers doing comedy and the look he gives that it's so funny yeah <laughs> well he give, gives the character a lot of weight that's why yeah. it like it, it, it I think if there's any other actor or almost any other actor it would be a very straightforward like mm. villain type character but he gives them a lot of like emotional weight yeah, too yeah Kite is not totally unlikable at all no like, you see he's probably he's you know <laughs> despite his issues he's at heart I think a, an alright guy whereas I think if you look at Bertram yeah. or, um, or Coxie, Coxie they're villains yeah they're kind of shitty all together 100% uh, and Mr. Muhammad of course he's a villain because he's foreign <laughs> yes so uh, ain't not from here so after some drinks, they, they decide that the best way to get Stanley out would be to 
get him to resign because of a medical issue caused by overwork, mm. which would solve all their problems. <laughs> so they, they decide they want to do this the old-fashioned way, so they send Cox to uh, meet up with Stanley. Stanley was going to a TV station to be on a panel show. Called Argument. Called Argument, hosted by a fellow whose name I can't quite remember. But it's... Uh, apparently it's a real person. He was a real guy playing real TV himself. Host. Yeah, playing yep. himself. And I think the girl who, the woman who announces him is also the real. Yes. And interestingly, I, I was reading up a little bit about this guy Muggerson or something. Yeah. And that he had been, like, he had, he had been interested in communism in his youth and he had gone to Russia and it was going to Russia and seeing it that he decided, oh wait, this stuff doesn't work. And so he became a very staunch anti-communist after oh. that point. Uh, and in fact, even found Jesus, I think, in the 50s. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, after the war. Um, but uh, yeah, so he's he's in the dressing room at the show and he's like kind of walks into the room and doesn't notice Cox sitting there in the corner and sees a bag on the table and he starts looking at the bag. And, and there's oh, a fossil in there. There's a fossil. <laughs> <laughs> Just a bug and amber. No, he opens it up and it is a bag stuffed full of... Of tons of one pound notes. Ones. I noticed that too. Thank you. <laughs> Full of singles. Yeah. But, and then he's like, oh shit. And he basically, yeah, he wants to bribe him. He's saying like, look, maybe you should resign. Tell you what, you take this bag of money and think about it and uh, do the right thing. And, and takes off. <laughs> but Stanley's scheduled to go on the show. So he goes on the show and it is a discussion about the strike. Uh, and on one side is featured Mr. Muhammad and Bertram. Representing the management, and then on the other side we have Mr. Kite and Stanley representing the workers. Mm-hmm. And so they they uh, allow uh, Mr. Kite to speak first, and he's a bit nervous. And well, what? he says he says, uh, "Where do you stand?" And he starts to get up, and he's yeah, like, "No, no, no." no. no. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many of those Peter Sellers moments. Great little Peter Sellers moments, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, and so he he gives his opening speech, but uh, during this whole thing, Stanley finally fucking snaps. And murders everybody in the room. No, what? That's a different movie. Oh, okay. That's the remake. Right. That's our version. <laughs> that's our version. No, he uh, he just he he pulled. He has his Mister Wa- Mister Smith goes to Washington moment and calls everybody on their bullshit. He calls Kite out on his bullshit for running a union that's just keeping things slow for no reason. He calls management out for being corrupt and bullshit, and and causes a goddamn riot in the studio. Throws the money. Throws the money, and that that pe- people are mad, but people want money, and we we've got everybody coming in, even Vikings, because they're at a TV studio, so apparently they're filming some sort of Viking thing. Can I tell you what this kind of reminded me of? <laughs> what? Um, oh, uh, not, uh, uh, Blazing Saddles. Yes. Maybe? Yeah. <laughs> not like to that scale, but no. like it reminded me of Blazing Saddles. Seeing these random like other people from a different TV show come in in costume and get I'm involved. I'm sure Mel Brooks watched. This I would movie. hope so. Yeah, that, or I would expect that he uh, had seen this at some point. Yeah. And thought that was funny. Um, a lot of unexpected inspiration. Yeah, absolutely. Movie. And so, so the after this is all done, we we go to Stanley is in court. He's the only person in this whole mess that has been charged with a crime. Yeah, and uh, uh, he is quickly convicted of causing a disturbance, but everybody else is off the hook. And so we we finish the movie with a return to the nudist colony where Stanley's sitting in the chair he was previously talking with his father uh, and kind of wrapping up what had happened. And he is then invited to play tennis again, um, but he's still not really sure about it. And as he stands up, we see that Stanley has subsumed to the life like his father and is naked. Uh, up by a newspaper? Ra- wrapped around with a newspaper around his midsection as the women come out to get him to play tennis. He takes off running and he is chased by many naked women. Benny Hill. Uh, Benny Hill slash Monty Python's Meaning of Life when Graham Chapman, yep. his character, decides to get chased by a bunch of topless women to his death. Which is weird that a gay guy would choose that, but that's a whole other thing. Graham Chapman was gay? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, didn't know that, did Learned you? something new every day. There you go. 
Uh, also, it's weird that you would choose that as your death because I know. there's no benefit yeah, to no. that. You're just getting chased and <laughs> you fall off a cliff. by a bunch of topless women. <laughs> You're not even looking back. That's such a great movie. <laughs> I wish that was on the list. Uh, well, Although, there's... to be fair, it's not the best Monty Python movie life of Brian is. Which one is it? That Might was Meaning of Life, life oh, yes. Right, yeah, yeah. So yeah, and that's how the movie ends with him being chased Falling by off a, cliff. a gaggle of bare-ass ladies and then falls off a cliff and dies. <laughs> he doesn't die. <laughs> no, we got to save him for the next sequel, which I don't think there is one, but there could have been. But I do like as it ends... Well, they did make a bunch of movies together um, after this. Just I don't know if they were related to this, mm. but um, but as it ends, uh, there's like that sign that says, "If you go beyond this, people from the road can see you." <laughs> That's how it ends. Well, now, Jason, before we get into the background of the movie, let's uh, let's take a quick break. I say, old chap, I've heard about this telephone app named Podcoin. Podcoin is an app. It's designed. For the workers, so that they can earn money. Pod, well, pod, pod coins. money, pod coins, you might, fight, you might say. Right. Uh, when they are listening to the application, when they are working. And it's called Podcoin. Yes, it's called Podcoin. And you can listen to podcasts. Anytime you like. And you get paid in Podcoins. Absolutely. You don't... You don't need a negotiation to get these pod coins. Okay. You just get them for listening. And with that, you can get gift cards to your favorite stores. You can get, uh, right. you can get, uh, uh, you can donate to charity with it. Uh, well, you can you, do all sorts of things. Yes. Okay, well, say I was a listener of this podcast. So you were. As I'm one of the dozens. Yes. Is there some sort of code I could use? Maybe we'd get some sort of bonus uh, bonus things out of this podcast. You will be correct, sir. There is a data code you could use. And yes. that code is ScreenPod. You just put that right in there and right. you will get the wages you deserve in PodCoin form. 300 of them, I believe. Well, that sounds splendid. It's, it's very good for the worker and very good for the union. So there you go, folks who are listening. Download PodCoin on your Android or iOS device. Absolutely. Remember, workers, unite. You have nothing to lose but your chains and earn PodCoins. And if you don't, you're an absolute shower. And we're back. I'm all right, Jack. A dinosaur story. Don't need to worry about me, Jack. What's the one fact you always say about we're back a dinosaur story? Uh, it's 74 minutes long. Uh, I believe it's 67. 67 minutes. It's it's way less than it should be. But then again, who knows what Don Bluth cut from that movie? Uh, a lot of sex. <laughs> so, Dido. Let's, uh, let's go to the background of this movie, Jason. Yes, please do. Inform me. Now, I know you already talked about the phrase, I'm all right, Jack, and yes. kind of what it means. But do you know where it actually originated? No, I don't. Well, it seems to have, it's believed to have originated among uh, Royal Navy sailors. Oh, okay. Uh, where a ladder was slung over the side of the ship. And when the last sailor climbed on board, he would say, I'm all right, Jack, pull up the ladder. Uh, the use of the name Jack derives from Jack Tar, an archaic term for a British sailor. I've never heard a sailor called Jack Tar before. <laughs> I'd call them John Player. Well, because have you ever seen a player's logo? It has that sailor with the hat that says hero on it. No. Which I think is a reference to the HMS hero, but... Oh, I learned something else. There you go. Today. Um, another variant of the story depicts the origin of the phrase among sailors returning home from duty, who instead of being treated as brave heroes, were forced to fend them for themselves in a dog-eat-dog society. They spit on us when we come back. So, director of this movie, uh, John Bolting, his brother Roy was a producer on his movie. They often traded back and forth as producer and director. Twins they were. Uh, yeah, I think they were, right? They yeah. were. Uh, some of the movies they did included Brighton Rock, which is another movie on this list. 
Um, as committed supporters of the Liberal Party, mm-hmm. they represented a particular kind of disaffected, high-minded, middle-class politics. However, they were uh, somewhat antagonistic, I guess, towards like conservative yes. like, materialism. Well, that's, that's the thing, is that the, the Liberal Party in Britain was always, as I understand, was more of like a business-focused party that was more moderate, I'd say, than, than the Conservative Party, but also not as like hardcore as the, the Labour Party. Right. They were suspicious, though, however, of socialism and the trade unions, hence mm-hmm. this movie. Um, their production company, they actually made this production company, it was a British, British Lion as their production company. Uh, it was, was, they were keen to build on the success of their previous film, Private's Progress, which was a pretty big, pretty good success, um, which had, that whole thing was a satirization of the army, yeah. um, which I really want to find. I yes, hope I, I really want to watch it now. I'm going to try really hard. Um, and they managed to reunite almost the entire cast for that movie, except for Peter Sellers. So, Peter's speaking to Peter Sellers mm. uh, regarding his like kind of characterization of the of Mister Kite. Um, apparently, the this as soon as the character was sketched out, the Boltings were like Sellers, nobody but Sellers. This is who we're writing for. This is exactly who it is. Um, and Sellers Sellers himself kind of explained how all the bits and pieces came together. He said he can't. He came with the haircut, the suit, the Hitler mustache, the accent, and he's doing kind of a. I guess he's doing a deliberate imper- impersonation of a union official at the studio that he knew <laughs> um, as well as one or two union chiefs from TV news that he's he met over the years I wonder if that's one of those uh, uh, I wonder if that guy ever knew that he was being impersonated because I hear stories of people that do that uh, where they impersonate people on the set and they don't get it <laughs> uh, so of course like this movie throws punches at management this th- movie throws punches at unions and you know most of the most of the people that saw the movie like the times reviewer thought the film's barbs i guess were fairly divided between capital and labor is mm-hmm. what they said a lot of people thought that the unions got off worse than the management in this movie mm-hmm. though based on the strength of peter seller's performance yes because they like you know that's the most that's the that's the thing that's most likely going to stick with people after the movie mm. or terry thomas i would say yeah uh, but Peter Sellers but, was definitely the one that was well, yeah, like... Peter Sellers was like an international superstar, I think, even by this point. And of course, like it's not the only targets. Like This movie also targeted consumerism. We get the whole num-yum thing and the Dedo soap or <laughs> yeah. whatever, the Dedo detergent. Uh, there's a lot of stuff about how like this may have inspired stuff like Benny Hill, Monty yeah. Python. St- so Stanley, and also like uh, Stanley's bubble car was a, another kind of symbol of this new world of mm. consumerism. And I actually uh, read that if... <laughs> If the movie had been made a year later, Stanley probably would have been driving a Mini. Yes. Which was the very the first model of this car was August 1959, so it would have been huh. right around the corner. They were probably filming this in 58. Yeah. Right, so let's get through this. Let's go through this movie a little bit more, shall we? Let's dig in. Let's dig in. I do want to play another clip here. So we get this narrator occasionally that comes in and says things kind of contrary to what's going on on screen. Being very and, ironic. Yeah, very <laughs> ironic. And this is one of the clips where he's just kind of talking about industry. And how it's a booming, a, this big booming industry and it's great for everyone. And while he's doing that, I just want you to keep in mind that there's like shots of like smokestacks and gray skies and just miserable people. Yeah. And you'll also hear the Dedo jingle at the end. Industry with tremendous opportunities for the young man. Industry spurred by the march of science in all directions was working at high pressure to supply those vital needs for which the people had hungered for so long. Better for you. 
Actually, now that I mentioned that, since that Dedo jingle came up, I want to ask you a question. Did you notice the scene where the Num Yum jingle comes back? Yeah. And was the factory burned down? That's what it looked like, yeah. Okay, so that was like an example <laughs> of... like a like, wasteland with a sign. Yeah, so was that an example of like how quickly things come and go in I this new so, kind yeah, of generation? Yeah. Stuff can just go up in a, in a puff of smoke. Yeah, um... Oh, there's also, speaking of the, back to the narrator, there's also a line where he says, The blues of bygone days had faded, as you see people going into this factory looking like they yeah, want to kill themselves. Exactly, just looking very depressed walking to work. <laughs> um, I love the thing how the union led by Peter Sellers has to convene on every single little thing. Yeah. To the point where um, we talked about, of course, the scene where they're talking with Hitchcock about when they when they figure out, when they think Stanley's the time and motion guy. Yeah. And they go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. At the end of that, <laughs> Hitchcock says something like, well, I, I'm glad we could make this another productive morning's work. Yeah. <laughs> he says it in a totally non-ironic way, yeah. which is just great. <laughs> Because that's the thing, that's one of the jokes too, is that whenever something happens, there's a shop steward's meeting going on. <laughs> or he's in a meeting with the shop steward. Um, there's a lot of like sexual references. Like I caught two quick ones. There's probably more. But somebody made a reference to polishing your spindle. That was when they were talking about uh, uh, Cynthia. He said, oh, she she's a spindle polisher. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, so she's jerking dudes off downstairs? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then there's another one, Jason. Yeah. Where Miss, uh, Mr. Kite says, uh, he's, or Fred Kite, Peter Sellers, whatever, is talking about Cynthia, and he's like, I just wish she was, she's not properly developed. And his wife's like, what are you, what are you talking <laughs> about? And he's like, no, intellectually, intellectually, I mean. Not not in the breast area. He didn't say that, but you know. Yeah. Was there any other ones I didn't miss? There was a lot of, like, there was some sexual innuendo. Uh, I like the, the guy that uh, stutters and always does the old joke where he's he's like, oh. look at this, foo, 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 friggin' guy, or friggin' yeah. guy. Like, he always, he sounds like he's going to swear, but then he doesn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's true. It's classic comedy, folks. They, um... Uh, should we uh, should maybe address the, the elephant casual, in the room? Casual racism in this movie. <laughs> yeah. So at some point, uh, I, I know Major Hitchcock. Uh, basically, well, it's also I think actually part of the satire because they t- well, first of all, they talk about bringing the darkies down to to see them. I say we're having to have this meeting with the darkies here. Yeah, referring of course to Mr. Muhammad and his uh, his crew. Yeah, um, his but crew. More so than they talk about the idea of the the blacks being brought in and the, and to replace us and. Because, of course, and the joke, I think, being that... Because they would actually work. Yeah. <laughs> and and probably for cheaper. That's true. It's kind of... But it's kind of like the 1959 version of, like, they're going to take our jobs! Well, and, and it's 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 an attitude that goes back even, like, in America, specifically. You talk, like, post-Civil War era, and that was a big fear of white people, that they were going to be replaced by all this cheap black labor. Which is hilarious to think, because it's like... But there's still all those jobs that they used to have for slaves that still need to be paid. So why do you think they're going to replace you necessarily? But yeah, I mean, I did write down that I noticed that uh, most of these lines about, you know, these casual racist lines were by kind of villainous characters. Like Stanley yeah. never says anything like no. that. So no, Stanley does not. And I think it. I think a lot of it is in service of the satire of the yeah. movie more so than just like the casual racism of the era. Yeah, it's, it's something I don't think they can get away with now, though. No. Like, I think it's it's. They're pushing it. It'd have to be directed and written by the right people, I think, to be able to get done. <laughs> oh, I, I found another innuendo I wrote oh, yes. down. This scene where they're uh, they're having a meeting and Cynthia is like watching and she looks at Stanley and says like, what are they talking about? And he says, oh, commercial intercourse with foreigners. Yes. <laughs> and she gives him a kind of knowing She's look. Like, what? <laughs> it's like, it's pretty cheeky for 1959. Like, they, they, they're getting away with some stuff here. Yes. 
some of the lines in this movie too like I love when they were talking about a work stop but the work stoppage and it's like we haven't had a stoppage like this in, a, in ages had to been at least a week and a half ago or something like that <laughs> yeah. well and it's funny because like and then right after that I think is when the, the bell sounds for lunch and he's like whoa getting quite a day in aren't we yeah. and they haven't done a single <laughs> no. thing that day <laughs> Oh, there's actually a nice little moment here, too, where uh, Kite, this is the scene where, later in the film where Kite actually gets rid of Stanley or sends him to Coventry or whatever. Yeah. And uh, his wife actually asks him, like, have you washed your hands? And he says, they're clean enough, mom. Are they clean? What does he call them? Mother? Mother, yeah. They're clean enough, mother. And it's such like a double meaning. I, f- I thought it was double meaning. Like, it's like, y- yes, she's literally asking if he's washed his hands. But it's like, oh, you washed your hands of this? Yes. Like, your, your responsibility is gone now? damn spot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. This is Macbeth. <laughs> I, I enjoy the part where Cynthia asks uh, Stanley if his teeth are real. <laughs> She's like, yeah, well, yeah, what do you mean? And she's like, well, they're just so white. I thought that maybe they weren't real. She's so used to seeing those factory yeah, exactly. Those Yeah, exactly, with those British teeth. Oh, tell me about it. Which, as I understand, is literally just a cosmetic thing. Britain has just as much dental care as we do here in the in the North America. I thought you were going to say the U.S. of A. In the, in the good old U.S. of A. But the main difference is, is that in Britain, I don't think there's as much, like, pushing of whitening products in no. the same way there is in the States. And of course, with celebrity culture, people are expected to have pearly white teeth, whether that's through whitening or veneers or whatever. So, Well, and now that you mentioned Cynthia, I do want to talk about Cynthia a little bit because that actress, um, uh, Liz Fraser, mm-hmm. she's great. Yeah. She's very she's like, very good, yeah. I think she's very good in this movie. And she, um, apparently this is kind of like her staple around this time, being the, the kind of the airhead blonde characters. Um, for a lot of British comedies, but she's not really an airhead. She's just young. Yeah, I mean, she plays it up a little bit, yeah, yeah. like well, like especially her crying. Yeah, yeah her <laughs> crying. Well, that's that's what I mean. That's great. Like we played that scene earlier of her crying. You can still hear it in the background yeah. faintly. Like it's so great. And and the thing is, I like that she's kind of played that way, but then also that you feel like there's like a genuine affection she has for Stanley. Yeah, no, like she really does legitimately like him. It's not just like I'm young and I want to fuck. And and whatever their relationship is is never the is never a a plot in the movie they no. just seem to enjoy each other very much yeah exactly um yeah she like i said she kind of goes what i expect against what i expected out of that female mm-hmm. character i expect lots of like dumb little well i think things. this is what this whole movie is in a lot of ways is being satire it's kind of turning expectations on their head because like, the scene that that to me gets that is the idea that when he calls stanley he says call stanley an intellectual and says that he's this intellectual and which is hilarious because clearly uh uh, Mr. Kite is the intellectual. He's yeah. the guy that spent all this time reading all this leftist literature and, and, and communist uh, manifestos and things like that. Uh, and Stanley, despite having gone to university, is pretty empty-headed and naive in comparison as far as that stuff goes. Clearly, Mr. Kite has never seen Dr. Zhivago. No. <laughs> uh, because he would know that communism does not work. That's right. <laughs> uh, oh, I did write down, we talked about Aunt Dolly earlier, looking at those books. I did write down what the, bo- the books she sees. One mm-hmm. is called The Guilty Rich. <laughs> And one is called Decline of the Privileged Class. <laughs> just thought that was funny. Just to freak her out when she walked in. Oh, and here's another little uh, great bit of satire. I, I want to play this clip because this is a, a little montage of politicians talking about the strikes while they're going on. And I, I love this combined with the whole narrator thing. This is great. Let's just listen to this. Sure. Industrial crisis provides a challenge to a free society. But at such a time, the nation remains calm. Calm because it knows it can be certain of leadership. Leadership that is bold, tolerant, yet decisive. I see great principles at stake here. 
As Minister of Labor, you can be sure that I shall act. You can also be sure that I shall not interfere. That is, with those great principles which I deem to be at stake. Trade Union Congress has deliberated. And on behalf of my colleagues, I can say that we are not prepared either to endorse the strike officially nor to condemn it. All unions, being autonomous, are free to make their own decisions. For the time being, the General Council calls upon employers to exercise restraint and to avoid provocation. But behind the official pronouncements, other vital forces are at work. The traditional respect of the British for the individual, allied to a rare genius for compromise and the unorthodox approach. Why don't we just buy him off? No, 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 it's too risky. What's he like, this fellow kite? Absolute shocker. Old Jack will sleep in his vest. Oh. I had to end with that because I love how Hitchcock says he, he's like a chap that sleeps in his vest. But yeah, like that's that political satire is like how, even the government gets it in this one. How prevalent is that still today? It's Politicians exactly. that flip flop. That's well, everybody. I mean, except for the last four one. years have been uh, a little different. The last three years oh, with a certain politician who very rarely flip flops. Hopefully, the only <laughs> four years section. Oh, it's going to be a mess no matter what happens, Brendan. I but know. that's for a different episode. That's for when we watch the movie version that the British make about this era. It'll <laughs> be on their next list, which yeah, we'll do in 2099. The top 100 horror films in yes. Bur- Britain. <laughs> um, the, um, so the, the only other thing I kind of wanted to mention, like if you have anything else, certainly mention it, Jason. But I just want to mention one more thing. Mm. The ending of this movie... The bad guys get away with it. Yeah, they do. And, it's, <laughs> and that's another thing. Um, like I me- We mentioned Brazil. We mentioned Monty Python. We mentioned Benny Hill. Yeah. And this is another part that kind of reminds me a little bit of Brazil, just in the fact that it doesn't really work out for Stanley. Yeah. It's not as dire of an ending for Stanley, obviously. He's not like, brain dead. Well, and, and it's interesting, too, because Sam is also a rather, is a naive character in many ways. Certainly not quite as naive as Stanley, but but has his own naivete that comes out clear. And yes, the, the, the bad guys win, essentially. But, you know. They don't even go to jail, like nothing. No. I don't, I don't think they do their deal. Yeah, and it's the one guy that gets charged is the one guy that was a hero to everybody. And Mr. <laughs> Muhammad is given, dip, is, uh, enacts his diplomatic immunity, just to like the guy from the second Lethal Weapon movie. Diplomatic immunity. Diplomatic immunity. just been revoked what one detail i like about this movie just a little thing that that you only i you only know if you're cool like me so at one point wow. we see one of the papers that uh uh is held up with stanley being a hero on is the daily express which british folks you're with me here i hope on this one the the daily express then and now is a right-wing rag so it is exactly the sort of paper that would raise stanley up as a hero because he's fighting back against the unions gotcha interesting also they have a crusader on their masthead so that says a lot about their political positions uh, yikes <laughs> oh and i also enjoyed mr muhammad's attempt at a at a, an english idiom where he says uh, oh, it's yeah. like you english say we seem to have the bird by the bush in the hand <laughs> <laughs> and that's such like a that's such a, such a thing that gets like 
uh, gets repeated in movies a lot today. Yeah. It's like that whole thing where it's like, oh, the foreigner can't get the phrase right or whatever. Um, he does also steal cigars at one point. Yes, I love that. Just he casually just grabs a handful of cigars and just in case you don't know, he's the villain. Yeah, <laughs> he's literally he's cigars from his from his uh, buddies. Literally stealing stuff. Yeah. Oh, I also like the scene too. If you'll notice, uh, when Stanley suddenly becomes this hero, you see a group of of women and 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 men too all outside cheering for him. And if I don't know if you noticed, but they're all wearing T-shirts that say "I love Elvis," but the Elvis is scratched out. <laughs> and Stanley is written on it. I didn't notice that at all. <laughs> and crazy to think about it because this is a movie made at the time where Elvis is still very much alive. Absolutely. See, he was alive for another 16 years after this. I would say. Well, yeah. 77, 18 years? 18 years. Crazy. Absolutely, yeah. It's a weird thing to think about. Yeah, this is right in the in the height of his popularity, yeah. too. Yeah. Um, all right, well, let's uh, let's talk about the critique of this movie from the, you know, other people. Other people's. No Oscars. I mean, no. I'm, not, I'm not super surprised. Like, whatever. No. But it's, it would be it would be funny to imagine this very specific British satire yeah. being recognized in America. But it is nominated for three awards at the BAFTAs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it is nominated for Best British Screenplay, mm. Best Newcomer for Liz Fraser, Ooh. which is nice. I'll just here get some recognition. And uh, Best British Actor for Peter Sellers. And it wins for Peter out of these awards for Best British Screenplay. Mm-hmm. And for Peter Sellers, oh. who, by the way, when he is nominated, when he's nominated in this list here, he's nominated among such people we've talked about as he's alongside Lawrence Harvey, Lawrence Olivier, Richard Burton, and Stanley Baker. Wow, they're all nominated for movies in that category. Crazy, yeah. None of the ones that was a thick year. None of the ones that we've talked about. I don't. Uh, no, I think Olivier uh, Harvey, I believe, was nominated for Room at the Top at the time. So yeah, I think that was fifty nine as well. The same area, yeah. yeah. Uh, so it means some critics like Bosley Crowther, the New York Times, big, huge critic at the time, called it the brightest, li- liveliest comedy seen this year. That's an American review. That was a big deal for them. Um, because uh, the New York Times was full of elitists. <laughs> the failing New York Times. Failing New York Times, old gray lady. Um, Maybe you need to get fucked, old gray lady. And I can do it. I'm very smart. <laughs> I'm in the best health. I'm in the best health. I can fuck like a champ. My doctor's a genius. <laughs> Uh, some negative reviews of this movie, uh, they, their kind of critique was... I that, imagine there were some union folks that weren't terribly happy with this movie. Well, probably, but this is but these negative reviews actually critique the movie for taking swipes at both sides. Mm-hmm. Because they thought that led the film feeling more like cold and detached. Like not taking really a stand mm-hmm. one way or the other, just kind of attacking everyone. Which, like... Uh, I mean, I understand I'm kind of, that perspective. I understand that perspective. I also understand the perspective of wanting to attack everyone so people don't don't think you have a side. Yeah, um, that you're you're trying to attack stupidity rather than. I mean, there's like, cer- like how Dennis Miller used to be before he became a right wing nut. Yeah, there's certain issues now that I would be like, Ugh, okay, you're taking both sides. Uh, yeah. Like I don't care, <laughs> but but yeah, it's just a thing that people thought at the time. So you like this movie? I did like this movie, Brendan. Uh, uh, even though, as a an incredibly left wing person who supports unions very much, um, I was a little disturbed by it. But also, it's satire, mm-hmm. and that's the and point. also unions were kind of a different thing. At they the time. absolutely were, and and this was legitimate a legitimate satire of unions at the time because mm-hmm. there were unions that were very much, and to this day, there are unions that are like that that are. Uh, have reputations, <laughs> teamsters, uh, as you know, but. Um, 
Yeah, it was it was really funny, and and I don't know that it would play today simply because unions are in such a weakened position that it would really feel like you were kicking a guy when he was down. Yeah, and as we know, comedy doesn't work when you punch down because what's that called, Brendan? That's called bullying. <laughs> Be a star. That's right. Uh yeah, no, I think this is um I like really 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 liked this movie. Like I was surprised at how much I liked this movie because I mean I, I didn't hear like like Jason said at the top we knew nothing yeah. about this movie and I feel like for you you know not that I know a lot about Britain in the 50s really but I'm, I'm a bit of a history addict so I knew a little bit about this era I feel like you didn't really know anything about it going into it not other really than what we've seen in movies so far. I had to get some context yeah for sure. absolutely and yet it still played to you it yeah like it's it still it's still held up I think I like you said I don't think it could be made today or if it did it would do some major changes very different movie for sure um but yeah no I was just surprised at how well it just played out like a comedy mm. like it it just it made me laugh like I, la- I laughed at most of the jokes and yep. there's little I mean, it's British humor. If you like British humor, you're going to love it. And and you and the strength of the performances, I would say, yeah, oh are, yeah, a big yeah. part of it is just. I mean, Peter Sellers is great. There's no question there. But everybody else in the movie is just so great for the roles. Well, and the thing with Peter Sellers is too, like everybody's great, but Peter Sellers is like acting. Yes, like everybody else is giving a good comedic performance, yeah. and they're funny, and their timing is great. But Peter Sellers adds that extra layer of like just beautiful like pathos. Are there any movies that you know of offhand where Peter Sellers just is like? Peter Sellers, like where he just acts as him, kind of as himself. Definitely Dr. Strangelove. Yes, absolutely. Or being there. <laughs> no, I don't know any, it honestly. Just, is being there the one where he's like the kind of Chance dumb, the Gardener. The Gardener who yeah. like ends up on TV and shit. Yeah, and he's yeah. like, uh, I watch television every day, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, he's kind of got like, I think he's got like a mild like Asperger's or something yeah. like that. Or at least what, at the time... We would, in retrospect, maybe call that. But then, spoiler alert, he walks on water at the end, so whatever. Oh, well, <laughs> what do you know? there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know. Um, yeah, no, this is this was really fucking good. I really like this movie. Yeah. Uh, it's number 47 mm-hmm. on the list, so we'll see what that what happens with that. Absolutely. Mm. Mm. Yes. But, Jason, you know what time it is? I think it's time, Brendan. It's time. It's time. It's theater time. Vader time. Vader time. Hugs. <laughs> and We miss you, Leon. Every day we miss you. Leon Spinks. One of the greatest wrestlers <laughs> of all time. Yeah, yeah. I love wrestling. Um, I think you're doing Mike Tyson. Yeah, no. I'm doing I'm doing Leon Spinks. Sure. Wait, was that, is that the ladies' man? I think you're doing Leon Phelps. Uh, Leon Phelps, yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh. Yeah, yeah. Leon Spinks is the ladies' man. Yes. Well, Jason... Guess what? It's my turn. It's your turn. All right. Are you excited? I am. I so, love dice rolling. You know well, me. Well, dice rolling. So what are we going to do right now, Jason? Well, Explain to the folks. Like every week, what we do, folks, is we randomly work our way through this list via the magic dice. Mm. We have two D10s, one of which is uh, has 10s on it and one of which has 1s on it. And in the last few weeks, we've decided we're going to roll the 10s first to increase tension. Um, it would help if you would imagine some who wants to be a millionaire like music in the background as we draw this out as long as possible and then say and we'll find out when we come back from commercial we should put the ads right there we should (laughs) (laughs) okay are we ready so we're ready to find out what movie we're going to talk about next week we are leaving this movie well we're going to read comments next week but we're leaving this movie for now come on now little man put that shit in my hand so let's get the tens jason all right the tens dice the green die here we go. Ready, Brendan? I'm ready. Ready, right. Freddy. Our tens number is 50. 
<laughs> You're gonna have to be a lucky man. All right. <laughs> so if if we if we if we end up on the same movie, we gotta re-roll. Yeah, we gotta do it again. We gotta do it all again. So here we go. Fifty-seven. No, nope, roll again. That's the go-between. We already saw the go-between. We're not watching the go-between again. We already watched it twice, Brendan. <laughs> all right, here we go. Uh-oh. Oh, we're in the top ten. Oh, no. The top oh. nine. Top nine. Yeah. That's right, because we already watched 39 We could get 100. Yeah, that's true. We could get 100. So we're in if, the it, zeros. if it is ten, we could, so we're, we could, we could have to watch uh, The Killing Fields again. Here we go. Three. Next week, ladies and gentlemen, we are watching Lawrence of Arabia. Oh boy, I love this movie, but it is very long. <laughs> well, you know what, Jason? Um, I am just relieved that uh, a little behind the scenes here, mm-hmm. we are doing it this on a weekend where I have nothing else to record. So that is a whew, I that wipe my good, brow yes, absolutely, and I am relieved. And we're also doing another David Lean, which we've only, we have yes. done two of so far. Yeah, so, we so it's to good to go to, to another one, um, folks. This is a big movie. This is a very big movie. I've never and- seen it. I apologize if my summary isn't as detailed as you want because oh, we have cute. to be able to read this summary within like three hours. It, so. can, it cannot be. We're going to have to really <laughs> like shorten that summary up. I'm glad I'm off next Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no shit. Uh, oh, you just told the folks when we record. Usually Sundays, but uh, it's actually Monday morning right now. So what do they know? With that being said, Jason, yes. Lawrence of Arabia, Lawrence it's of happened. Arabia, one of my favorites. I'm so glad that we're going to watch it. Uh, it's just intimidating. It is. It kind of looms over us right now. Absolutely. All right. Well, um, Jason, they can follow you on Twitter. They can follow me at Jason D. McLeod. That's M-A-C-L-E-O-D. Where he talks about the fear and respect he has for Lawrence of Arabia. Where I where I tweeted people like Giant Bombs Alex Navarro about how there are two good scenes in Swordfish and one of them is the Bouncing Betty scene. And the other scene is, of course, Holly Berry naked. Absolutely. <laughs> some some other Bouncing Bettys, you might say. Hey! That's what yeah. I thought you meant when you yeah. said Bouncing Betty. No, I literally <laughs> meant the Bouncing Betty mine. <laughs> I was like, oh, is that what she calls? I think you mean <laughs> Bouncing Berries. Oh. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> but anyway, enough about Holly Berry's tits. I think I know who might show up next week, but I'm not sure. <laughs> oh, oh, dear. Oh, it's an absolute shower. I'm putting a special request. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. Well, then. You can also find us on social media on Facebook. Just search for Screen and Country. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at BFI underscore pod. You cannot find us on Voet. No, because I don't know what that is. That's like Reddit, but for uh, 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 Nazis. You can find us... Oh, Jesus, no, we're not on there. You can find us on 4chan. <laughs> <laughs> Deep in the 8chan forums. Uh where we post our manifesto <laughs> weekly. That is not true. Cut that. <laughs> um, we uh, so yeah, that's it. That's that's we come to the end. So Jason, I guess I just have uh, one thing to say to you. And what would that be, Brendan? God save the queen. God save the screen. For screen and country, I'm Brendan and I'm Jason. Get to work. Solidarity forever, solidarity forever, solidarity forever, for the union makes us strong. When the union's inspiration through the workers
blood shall run. There can be no power greater anywhere beneath the sun. Yet what force on earth is weaker than the feeble strength of one? But the union makes us strong. Solidarity forever. Solidarity forever. Solidarity forever. For the union makes us strong. It is we who plowed the prairies, built the cities where they trade, dug the mines and built the workshops, endless miles of railroad laid. Now we stand outcast and starved. Just give me a second. Fuck you, Kevin Dunn, you rat-faced motherfucker. Okay. Blooper reel. Hey, I heard you like movies. I heard you like to hustle. I heard you like podcasts. Well, guess what? There's a podcast for you out there called The Home Video Hustle. Damn right. Every Friday, we talk about whatever movie PJ picks out the bag. What does that mean? Every Wednesday on our YouTube page, I put a bunch of movies in a bag and PJ picks one out at random. And then we just watch it. We talk about it for maybe like an hour, hour and a half, two hours. Whatever we feel like doing, wherever the conversation leads us. But do we actually talk about the movie? Most of the time. Ah. Tangents galore. Yes. So believe me, we may be a movie podcast, but it's not always about movies. We might talk about video games. Mm-hmm. Music. music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the big one, music. Uh, sometimes we might get a little bit of politicalness in there. Yes. Sometimes we may just, oh, we know what we like to do. We like to tell stories, PJ. Ah, yes. I am the master storyteller yes. of the podcast realm. <laughs> Undefeated. So if you like to hear about movies, video games, whatever foolishness comes to our mind, the most random stuff you can think of, check out the Home Video Hustle. You can find us on the Stitchers. Yes. The Google Play. Yes. Apple Podcasts. What else? Podbean. What else? Podcast Addict. Goddamn. All that. Ain't no reason you can't get your hustle on. We everywhere. Worldwide, baby. Hustle, motherfucker. Hustle. Hey, we can't cuss in the promo, PJ. Ah. We gotta be family friendly. There may be podcasts out there that don't want his hair to say. Ah. 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 Good fun stuff. <laughs> well, <laughs> you. <laughs> no, no, don't run the listeners away, PJ. Ah, I'm sorry. But this is going kind of long. Yes. So we'll end this and say, hey, check out the Home Video Hustle every Friday on all the various podcast outlets. Peace. Peace.